Today on Never Was a Gamer, there's silence in them thar hills. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the creepy music playing on my car stereo as I drive <laughs> the foggy roads into town, Dimitri. Boo. <laughs> Hi, and thanks so much for joining us today, where Michelle is about to embark on a journey into Silent Hill, mm -hmm. which will be her first ever horror game. Yes. Uh, we sort of played Resident Evil 1 together, but it was mostly you, mostly me on the couch. Right. So you do have enough experience with Resident Evil 1 that we're not going to do it for the show. I think had we not played that, that is the one we'd be doing. It's kind of the most influential in some ways, mm -hmm. modern survival horror game. Yeah, I do kind of feel like I know that game though. Right. And I guess you also know Luigi's Mansion, which you did play on your own. Don't patronize me. What? There, there's some spooky moments in that. There is not. It's just, it's there like, are. it's like ghost themed, but it's like, it's spooky. It's not scary. I mean, there's the existential dread of being compared to your overachieving older sibling. That's not a horror game. That's not a, that's not a, that doesn't count. <laughs> okay. That's nothing. Okay. You're the one. Being it's a the, good game. Okay. Gatekeeper of, of <laughs> horror games. But yeah, we. You know enough about Resident Evil, so we aren't going to start there. So we're going to kind of do Silent Hill instead, which in a lot of ways is the next best thing and maybe even the better game for you and, and your taste and your sensibilities. Hmm. Because I think one of the things that's interesting about this is that you are the one who have raised playing Silent Hill in the past. Yeah, I think I suggested this for, for the show. Um, although I think I would have raised probably Silent Hill 2, because I think I have it somewhere in my head that that's the the standout one of the series, I think, the one that people really are are super, super attached to. Right. And I think we will probably, if this goes well, do two Silent Hill 2 in the future. <laughs> if not, we're closing <laughs> down the podcast. <laughs> um, but I think Silent Hill 1 is worth doing, and I think it would be really hard to go back to 1 after doing 2. Mm -hmm, so right. that's, I think, why we're going to start with start with 1. Makes sense. Uh, but because you did raise this, you must know some things about Silent Hill. So what is it that you know about the series and why did you actually want to play a horror game? Because this is not your genre at all. No. Um, also not my genre. I'm also a big baby. Yeah. We're two so, cowards in this house. Yeah. And Resident Evil 1 is, is fine. Yeah. It's just got it's just got zombies, really. But and I'll, I'll mention this later. Silent Hill, I've never played it. Okay. Oh, oh, we're going to play this. We're going to experience this for the first time kind of together. And I will experience it. Peeking out from behind am, my finger. I am going to be more it. of a gamer than you when this is done. Yes. Can't wait. Tune back in in two weeks <laughs> when I return triumphant over Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, to get to get back to what you actually know about Silent Hill, why is it that you actually wanted to play these games? I mean, you mentioned in the intro, you must know there's fog. Sort of. Yes, <laughs> I do know that, but I don't know why I know. I, I picture like a foggy road, a foggy town. But I don't really know what that's about. Yeah, that's about that's about right. That's a thing. Okay. That's, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think I I think what I'm drawn to in in this is uh I think it's supposed to be a little more atmospheric or psychological horror, which is the sort of small sliver of horror that I tend to like if I'm gonna like any of it. Mm. I know Pyramid Head, but oh. I don't know what he looks like actually. <laughs> so you just know the. I word? just know in the abstract there is a pyramid head. I don't know what he he could look like. 
like Devo with those like red <laughs> hats that look like a three layer cake. <laughs> that could be what he looks I, like. Yeah, I assume that's him. Yeah, I have like image not found for for what Pyramid Head looks like. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's really it. I don't I don't even really know what the threat is in these. Like I don't. It could be an axe murderer. It could be a sea monster. It could be a Cthulhu. I have no idea. It could be anything. It could be vampires. It could be werewolves. It could be witches. Satanic cults, demons, angels, preachers. If you keep going, you'll eventually get it right. <laughs> Will I? Ghosts. I do think you've hit some elements. I'm not going to tell you which okay, ones. Great. <laughs> yeah. So I that's that literally is the is the conclusion with this. Like, I I know that this is a game that even many people for whom horror is not a super appealing genre still really like this game. And so I think I might be like that. And so this is what I'm interested in finding out for myself as well, because I have always been terrified of this series, I think largely because it came out in 1999. So I was still pretty young. Right. And when I was young, I was not into horror at all. I was an even, even bigger baby. Okay. I was scared then of... Then now or then me? <laughs> <laughs> then now. Okay. And probably then you. Whoa. Like, I, I just kind of avoided it. I think the only horror movie I ever went to see in the theaters was The Blair Witch Project. That's scary, isn't it? it I was, haven't seen it because I'm a baby. Well, that's why I didn't go back to see a horror movie for years. <laughs> like, that was that was kind of enough. And uh, yeah, just because there was so much mythos around that movie. Right, 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 right. And similarly around Silent Hill, I remember it having this kind of mythology when it came out. Because Resident Evil had already been out at a time, and that's a game that I'd watch people play, but I didn't play it. Still probably too scary for me, but mm-hmm. I might have been able to do it. Mm-hmm. But Silent Hill had this like mythical quality to it. I remember one of my friends, because I didn't have a PlayStation, but one of my friends did, and he rented it. And his description to me was that it was like taking a trip to hell. Whoa. Yeah. And that that's just a lot stood in my mind. And he brought it over one day to play. And to I was, take you to hell. Yes. And I was kind of reluctant, but I would just watch. And we played it maybe two hours and that w- that was enough. Whoa. And like I was kind of paying attention, but kind of not. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't want to become immersed because it would not be it's great. It's too intense. Yeah. Yeah. And so even ever since then, it's kind of had this like mythical, like obscene quality where I don't want to Ooh. touch it. It's too scary. Obscene is a very evocative word in this context. Too scary. Like. Sh- should be banned. You shouldn't be seeing this. No. Wow. That, and so that's in my mind what Silent Hill always was. I think today, looking back at those PS1 graphics, I might be okay <laughs> watching you play it. Okay, good. I think uh, that's that might be the saving grace. Maybe not. This makes me nervous about my ability to get through it, but let's continue. Right, because generally I think you like horror even less than I do. I've come to appreciate it over the time, but... I'm still not the biggest fan and I still get scared pretty easily. Yeah, I'm very easily scared and I don't enjoy being scared, which I've never fully known whether horror fans like the feeling of being scared or if they just like the experience that being scared is a part of. I do not enjoy it, although I am more into it now than I've been at, I think, any other part of my life. I had a couple of formative horror-ish experiences. Like I, I read The Shining, the book, in like middle school, arguably too young. Uh, yeah, I think inarguably too young. <laughs> and I read it while I was camping with my family. So there's that. And I did also see that movie pretty young. Uh, and then I think also importantly, um, The X-Files, the show, was like my first true media love and the the source of many of my tastes that have stayed with me for a really long time. 
I think that was like the first adultish media property that I like chose for myself in like seventh grade and just like loved, 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 loved. So, you know, there's there's that's not usually full horror, but there are certainly some some horror things in there. So what is it that you like then about The Shining or The X-Files in particular? I don't remember what I liked about The Shining. I don't even know if I did like it. <laughs> you just read it. I just, I did it. Um, <laughs> that's that's how I feel with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it happened for sure. Yeah. Um, the X-Files I love because I think um, in my in my little like cozy suburban growing up, something about there being the creepy stuff in the shadows in these really like heartland small towns and the um the edge of of sci-fi spooky horror mm. stuff that that show could hit um some of the play with conspiracy stuff was really fun and appealing to me at the time feels less fun now for lots of reasons <laughs> um, but yeah and and I I sort of like the I love the detective story thing and the like the characters Mulder and Scully like there's a lot that was not it wasn't the horror necessarily that drew me in it was in a mix that tasted good so it's kind of a detective story with horror elements and that's you're kind of more attracted to the detective genre yeah and then but with the horror layers on top it just made it and the sci-fi and the sci-fi yeah okay. yeah both those two genre things um but yeah x-files was off the air quite a while ago and so you <laughs> and you mentioned you're getting back into kind of horror or horror adjacent media now so um what accounts for that because there's this huge gap yeah. <laughs> yeah like with your gaming yeah i mean yeah the timing is not exactly the same but i think um as i get older i'm finding it more manageable to be scared and also more cathartic and a, a funny thing that's developed is i especially like it more when i'm in sort of a bad place emotionally i mean we're still talking about like get out and like haunting of hill house so it's on the the pretty mild end of horror and the the more like writerly end mm, like mm -hmm. those are both examples of of horror media that are also have a lot of stuff very conspicuously going on in them that that you can respond to so you only like classy no <laughs> horror. This, okay no i respect hardcore horror i respect dumb horror i like i and people who like it i am just too soft there has to be other hooks for me to pull me through the experience. But there there I am more and more feeling like there is something cathartic about it, about the the buildup of tension and then the release. But I still don't quite enjoy it. <laughs> Are there any elements of it that you do especially enjoy or that you especially don't enjoy? Well, uh I do not like jump scares. <laughs> I'm a kind of tightly wound person and I'm incredibly easy to startle and I just I hate that I hate that movies feel like proud of themselves for just provoking a physiological reaction in you, me. You've been so salty. So a few years ago, we went to see <laughs> 10 Cloverfield Lane in the theater. Pretty good. Which, yeah, really good. And But is one of the few even like horror related, yeah. even spooky-ish movies that you've seen in a theater in public. Yeah. And there was a moment when there was a jump scare and you let out the, the loudest you know, scream. And everybody I've, was turning back at you. And you've been laughed. And you've been so salty ever since. Okay. That's because that was the worst example. It was like, <laughs> it was it was the clearest setup where it's like you, a person's looking like through a window to the outside world and it goes all still and silent and zoomed in on that window. And it's like, I this is the first silent moment in this entire movie. I know you're about to put a jump scare in me. I know you are. And I'm just like, okay, here it comes. But then it comes. And because of the way my body is, I still scream. Like, don't be proud of that. That's nothing. 
<laughs> don't be proud. The rest of that movie is good. That sucks. Okay, so no jump scares. Or at least at least be be tasteful about it, you oh know? Oh my God, you're, you like the highbrow jump scare. <laughs> no, I, I don't need them. I'd, I'd rather not. I'll, I'll be scared anyway. You don't need that. Yeah, I, I have a couple of things that are probably non-starters for me. Like I really try hard to avoid anything with like graphic sexual violence or animal cruelty or death because those are things that take me to a place where I'm not having fun. I'm, I, I'm like, this is this is not productive. I just don't like it. But yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of stuff that is good scary to me also. Hmm. Um, I really like like claustrophobic spaces. Uh, I like things moving in your peripheral vision, like stillness. Um, I love stuff. These that- all sound very close to like the things moving in your peripheral vision, stillness. That's always in the lead up to a jump scare. No, that's the thing. Let the tension breathe. Like let it mm. let it go. Let me let me have space to feel the feeling of the anxiety that's building. Don't like just crank it up for 2.5 seconds and then immediately give that release, that forced release, right? Like let me let me sit in it. Let me stew. Yeah, I I really like things that don't make spatial sense, like things where it's like, "Oh, that shouldn't fit in that" or like the layout of this doesn't map or make sense in mm. real space those sorts of things really like freak me out and stress me out so so those are things that actually kind of make you feel uncomfortable you don't just like yes. that as a conceptual idea yeah i mean yes absolutely mm. um and i i have a feeling this would be even more extreme in games because in games you're so much more like in the space and trying to like uh mentally get to know mm-hmm. like it's different than being in a movie right right you kind of have a responsibility to map out that space mentally yeah. And it's really frustrating sometimes if you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, for example, um, the the monster tombs from X-Files, which I know you'll oh. remember because we watched it together. Yeah, he he's terrifying. You want to explain what he does? He just can fit in any space, basically. He just can, like, be in your vent. He, he can crawls be in, through your vents. Yeah, he crawls up through your vents. Ain't right. So, yeah, uh, there's that sort of element. And then there's the element of it that's like... A spooky Santa Claus. Uh, sp- <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of a spooky Santa Claus. Like a modern Santa Claus for people. If you don't have a chimney, you don't get Santa Claus. You get tombs. Yeah, and he eats people's livers. (laughs) He's so scary. He's really, really. Anyway. So, yeah, there's that stuff. I I really, I was raised Catholic. And so um, I do enjoy demons, spooky, like preacher or priest, spooky, like religious iconography, uh, demons and stuff. Monsters don't usually scare me too much, but um, people do. (laughs) <laughs> like I believe in all the bad things that people can do much more easily. There are many Venn diagrams where there's an overlap. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, and, and I'm sure that's a point of monsters to a huge degree also. Uh, that is kind of their point. Yeah. <laughs> but just in terms of how, how it works on me. Uh, and ghosts I can take your leave. Kind of depends how much they're, how closely they're linked to people. Um, so I like people in these stories. I, I like when there are characters that feel real in them and there's it feels like there's an an actual person going through this um i i think that's navigating that like existential threat i think i think that's a lot of what i like now yeah i guess i like a lot of the same things i tend to like horror when it is tied to mystery i like to see things Mm -hmm. unravel yeah typically i like the answers to those things to be less supernatural yeah yeah Uh, sometimes it's fine Ooh. You know what you don't like that I can stand just fine? I know what I don't like. Possession. Yeah. (laughs) it's That still creeps me out. I don't like it. I don't want... I don't think... 
I'm scared of being possessed because I wouldn't know. I'm scared of having to deal someone who the devil has taken over their body. Okay. You're afraid of other people being possessed. Yeah. And like having that scary voice. Do you like or hate The Exorcist? I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. For what it is. Okay. I don't want to watch it. Okay. I don't want to hear people, little children, have demonic voices and spin their heads around or vomit. Okay. Especially the vomit part. That's gross. Oh, yeah. You also don't love bodily fluids generally. I don't want to pick it up. Vomit and species. Especially if a devil made it. <laughs> devil vomit. The worst kind. Oh, you know what else sucks? Uh, underwater scary stuff. Oh, yeah. That's something that I'm fine with. But yeah, you, you I don't like it. do not No like buildings it. underwater, no ruins underwater, no big underwater monsters, no underwater claustrophobic stuff. What about underwater eels in Super Mario 64? Okay. Legitimately so scary. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because this is the thing. You don't play horror games, but partially due to, and I, I'm in this camp too, being a huge baby. Yeah. And also partially due to kind of genre fluidity in games. Even if we try to avoid horror games, we can't avoid being scared in games. So many times. And yes, yeah, sometimes it's a thing that is, I don't think intending to be, I think intending to be creepy, but not. Like, not to the extent. That... Yeah, not to the extent of Unagi. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, you were legitimately. I, he is the scariest thing I've encountered in any of the games we've played so far. <laughs> Sincerely. <laughs> He's like crudely drawn. He's like a creepy kid's drawing of a sea monster. I think that's why that like came to life. And he he messes up the space you're moving through because his body is so enormous and you're in the underwater context where you already don't have the most control over your movement. Like you're already a little bit clumsy. So your ability to nimbly avoid him is inhibited. He just is so, so scary. <laughs> He's so creepy. Yeah, you're way more scared of him than anything in the in the haunted house and the booze level. No, the haunted booze are just spoopy. They're like Halloween decorations. What about that piano? The piano, I guess, but like, you know, the, there's a better piano in Luigi's Mansion 3. It's fine. Told nothing. You it was scary. It's nothing compared to that eel. That <laughs> eel's messed up. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about, um, I've talked before, I think in episode zero about my experience with uh, Bioshock, the first one. That was the first game that I ever really played with like um, dual stick, like moving and looking and shooting. Yeah, the fear came from bodily ineptitude. <laughs> well, partially, but also from like the first thing that happens is your plane crashes and you're at sea and you find this like lighthouse island and it wants you to get into this bathosphere that's going to take you down to the bottom of the ocean. And I think I probably delayed that for like 15 minutes <laughs> of just like, I absolutely will not get in there. Are you insane? Like that's claustrophobia and water stuff together. Right. I was like, oh, absolutely. And that game does such a good job of establishing the atmosphere and the yeah. tone in that, in that, especially in that first part. Yeah, yeah. It, it is definitely understandable why you were scared, especially because that was your, yeah, that was your first game with. I couldn't like look right real analog good. stick camera control. Yeah, <laughs> or like knowing to pick things up off the ground if they're even, shining, even if they're shining <laughs> gold. They're... Why would I know? Anyway, you can listen to episode <laughs> zero if you want longer thoughts on that, but. Yeah, so there, there's that. I mean, another kind of funny experience that stands out in my head is actually the opening uh, and to some extent the ending of Gone Home, mm -hmm. which is in many ways sort of the opposite of a lot of these horror games. But it's like you're coming up to you're in a storm. It's this like spooky mansion. A lot of the lights are out. It's abandoned. Like it, it's it's pulling on a bunch of horror tropes oh, and lineage. Absolutely. And and knowingly so and intentionally so, right? Like, I don't think it's on you that you were frightened. I think you gave... Okay. I think that was the exact response that okay. 
the game was going for. Because I also delayed a bunch and was like looking over my shoulder and like mm-hmm. not going further into the house. And I remember when you played it too, you didn't know that much about it. So there was, yeah. you didn't know, for example, that everything was going to end out well and there was going to be no actual scary elements or horror elements to it. Yeah. It was definitely playing with that genre. And if you go in not knowing that it won't pay those things off, yeah. then the tension is there the whole way. And it, it does toy with that again, I'll say in the last 20% or so when you're waiting to find out what the ending is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, very like effective It does use. things where you see like red stains in a bathtub, but then yeah. it's just, oh, it was red hair dye. We were dyeing our hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's, yeah, it's like rearticulating all these horror moments as something yeah. lovely. And uh, we'll put a spoilers mo- warning in the in the notes for this, but also it does lead you to at some point be like, oh, this person who I'm, my sister who I'm learning about is either going to have killed herself or she's going to have escaped this house. One of those two things will be true. And I'm going to find out when I make it to the creepy attic. Like it... It's 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 putting that in your head in a pretty right. clear way, and like yeah, and people who have history with queer media from the '90s, so much of that ends in tragedy yeah. anyway, and it, so it's planting those seeds, and you don't know yet whether you want to trust these writers and these developers to actually pay this off in a way that's not traumatic. Yeah, and yeah. So there's so much baggage that comes with the genre tropes that the game's dealing with mm-hmm. that I think it makes perfect sense that you were that you found it scary. Yeah, I mean an- another teen who's in love with. Jillian Anderson as Dana Scully. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Formative influence. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know too much about when you've had this experience. Of just being scared in game? Yeah, like in stuff that is not explicitly a horror game. As a kid, all the damn time. Oh, really? <laughs> in the stupidest games, for real. Um, part of this is the peripheral vision stuff. So it took me a while, actually, and I think we, we've shared this experience together, to to play any first-person game and not just be completely terrified. Okay, yeah. First-person is inherently scary a little bit. I Yeah, and I still kind of think so, not not being able to see what's kind of around or behind yeah. you. Even if it's the dumbest first-person game <laughs> or like the most benign first-person shooter, there, for the longest time, I always found something kind of just scary about that perspective. Yeah. But even like, I remember playing this stupid Spider-Man side-scrolling beat-em-up. I can't remember which one it was. Okay. It was probably Maximum Carnage because that one is the coolest box and I wanted to rent that one all the time. And like you have Spidey Sense in it and I know there's this part where like you're climbing a building and I don't know, some villain, I don't know all the Spider-Man villains, like shooting lightning at you, but your Spidey Sense will go off to signal that it's coming. And as a kid, I just thought that was terrifying. Oh, like whenever the warning came? Yeah, and that I'd have, and that something would come from some direction and oh. I'd have to get out of the way. I just found that scary. Yeah. So again, not a lot of horror games. Like, Sure, like I definitely found Luigi's Mansion a bit spooky the first time I played it. Hmm. I definitely was a bit scared of that stupid piano with the chompers. <laughs> so that's why I didn't really need horror games because I got them from like Mario. You I got, got as much experience. as you wanted. I got the taste that I that I was craving. See, but you've only named ones from when you were a kid, and I named ones from when I was an adult and still a baby. Well, so what has messed you up as an adult? Well, I mean, partially the reason for this is that I just. Like, I've gotten over some of this stuff, but didn't know it. And so really just avoided horror games or scary games a lot. So one thing, for example, is I did, just because of how good the reviews were, Mm -hmm. when Resident Evil 4 was coming out, I played Resident Evil 4 when it came out. So I was still relatively young. And I found that pretty scary. Mm -hmm. It is one of the least scary Resident (laughs) Evil games. I mean, like, 4, 5, and 6 are just kind of get increasingly less scary. Okay. 
but at the time like that was that was my threshold and like to go back and play one or two for example like resident evil one or two no thank you like i did i remember it being such a big deal when resident evil came out on n64 because nobody thought that could be possible oh and so this right this is still before resident evil 4 but i, I remember renting that and just no, like playing a little bit of it you know renting it playing it for half an hour and saying okay I've, that's enough <laughs> i it, have my taste <laughs> yeah it looks cool that's enough and then yeah i don't think i picked up anything scary until resident evil 4 right which i did go through very slowly right it kind of only played in increments of like an hour at a time and then I, you played resident evil 7 didn't you no oh i okay. watched somebody play resident evil 7. Oh, okay <laughs> the classic i really want to play resident evil 7 that's cool and i still think one day i'll go and, and kind of knowing where it goes i think it sure it help. it's a little helpful mm-hmm because it won't be so surprising what's going to happen, but I that might still be a little bit beyond me. Maybe we'll gear up to play Resident Evil 8 Village together if it's good. Yes. Because we both are liking the, the vibe so of that good. one so far. Yeah, and I think if we can get through the Silent Hills, that might be enough to make me be able to get through the Resident Evils. Well, you're telling me that these are, Trips all, to hell. These are way worse than the Trips Resident Evils. So we're, we're jumping in at the deep end. Yes. Okay. Based on what I know on this series, there are pretty big differences between them. And actually, maybe this is a good point to take a little break and when we get back, talk a little bit more about the history of horror games and and the differences between games like Resident Evil and a game like Silent Hill. Let's put it in a bit of context for you. Okay, great. Okay, we're back to put Silent Hill in a bit more context. Perfect. Silent Hill was released in February of 1999 for the PlayStation. It was published by Konami. So this will be another Konami game for you Hmm. after Metal Gear Solid. No Kojima, but as you know, he did want to make a Silent Hill game. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with PT, which will maybe never come to fruition. With my friend Guillermo del Toro. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But before talking about that specifically, I guess we should briefly go over a longer history of of games. And in terms of video games, we can pretty much think of, at least simplistically, of horror games as following one of two strands. Okay. So there's horror games that that take an action approach, so horror-themed action games. So you think of games like ones you might remember from your Super Nintendo days, like Ghosts and Goblins, the Castlevania games, especially the pre-Metroidvania Castlevania games. A lot of licensed games like, you know, the Halloween licensed game or the Friday the 13th licensed game <laughs> that were on the NES. So games that were that were basically like action platformers or action games, but with with a horror themed skin. Sure. Uh, but the games that we're going to be talking about, uh, the survival horror games, the lineage that Silent Hill really comes out of is the group of horror games that have their roots in adventure games and role playing games. Oh. And in this case, the games really emphasize story, tone, atmosphere pacing, tension, problem solving. So a lot of the things you mentioned that you actually like about the horror genre. Yeah, I remember the prominence of puzzles in uh, in Resident Evil. Right, which, yeah. Which, it got a little silly at times, did, I would yeah, say. Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think we'll revisit this question after you've played Silent Hill to really think about the purpose of puzzles in horror games. Cool. But for the games we're talking about, games that eventually become known as survival horror, we can locate some of the features... Uh, here and there in games dating back to the late 70s or early 80s. So, for example, there's a game for the Atari just called, bluntly, Haunted House. <laughs> and in that game, your character is represented by a pair of eyes that you <laughs> uh, use to navigate 
a maze, which is the haunted house, and you collect items along the way, and you try to navigate your way out of the haunted house. That's Resident Evil. It's pretty much Resident <laughs> Evil. It was all there. Right? Just like abstracted by a few degrees. But <laughs> but yeah, not being about action, but being about exploration and needing to collect stuff to escape. Okay. One of the more clear-cut precursors to modern survival horror games was a game called Alone in the Dark. The, the first one in that series came out in 1992. And there you already see some of the things that we associate with at least Resident Evil. Um, for example, the use of pre-rendered backgrounds. Um, the use of fixed camera angles. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, what's a pre-rendered background? Oh, yeah, sure. So you've definitely seen these before. Okay. Um, really prevalent, especially in PlayStation era games that, you, that you've probably gone back and played. Okay. So these are where the environments aren't rendered in real time. So the background elements are rendered at some other time on some other equipment into a kind of a single image, which then is used as a background. Right. It's just a flat picture. And then you've got More sprites less, yeah. and moving parts moving like on it, kind of. Yeah. And so okay. then all the things that are rendered in real time, mostly the foreground elements, like, yeah, like the characters, like your characters, like the NPCs, some of the objects you can interact with. And often what happens is that there is a little bit of a disconnect, especially in these early games, between what the backgrounds look like and what is, the foregrounds look like. Is this the Final Fantasy VII thing? Final Fantasy VII is the perfect... Original Final Fantasy VII. Okay. Yes. Original okay. Final Fantasy VII Got is it. a perfect example of this. Got it. Um, maybe one of the most blocky egregious... Blocky-ass brains. <laughs> yeah. Like the beauty of the backgrounds versus the the blocky cuteness. More polygons the... yeah. that are cloud. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Alone in the Dark used this and Resident Evil picked that up. And we'll talk about why. I mean, one of the reasons is just because you could make really stunning, stunningly beautiful backgrounds that were that weren't actually possible technologically. Mm -hmm. But I think there are other ways that that actually did benefit the horror genre that we'll get into in a bit. That we'll get into a bit later. Um, but Alone in the Dark is one of these games that really is a is a starting point. For, and if you play it, you can kind of see a clear line uh, from that to Resident Evil. But there are also a bunch of adventure games that emerged with horror themes around this time, like the Gabriel Knight series in 1993. A lot of... Those are FMV adventure games, aren't they? One of them is. The second okay. one is. Okay. Yeah. The first one is more of a traditional point and click using sprites. Okay. The second one's an FMV game and the third one kind of with goes With Tim back. Curry? No. Okay. No. Tim Curry does the voice of Gabriel Knight in one and three. Okay. But Tim Curry looks nothing like the character Gabriel Knight. <laughs> so they had to cast a different actor for the FMV game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you do some. Back on track. Back yeah. on track. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but bringing up FMV games is good because there were a ton of FMV games um, around this time, especially when you look at like the total number of FMV games. There were quite a few of them that were horror themed. Hmm. The most famous ones, um, Gabriel Knight, The Beast Within, with the second Gabriel Knight game that's often upheld as maybe the best FMV game at all time of mm -hmm. all time. It, it is really good. There's also The Seventh Guest that you might have seen, um, Phantasmagoria, a game that alongside Mortal Kombat um, was upheld as one of the most gross, violent games right. um, at the Senate hearings. Right, right, right. Um, in 1995, a game called Clock Towers released, which is a point and click survival horror type game it's released um on the super nintendo in japan only as far as i know and in that case yeah it, it's it's an adventure game where you're trying to run around the spaces i know you start in a mansion avoiding the villain who's known as scissor man who just has a huge pair of scissors like novelty scissors <laughs> yeah like, like huge like huge shears okay that's i guess that's scary yeah, really huge shears that he's gonna chop you up with it's probably scarier <laughs> in context <laughs> yeah so that was 1995 <laughs> And then in 1996, we have the release of the first Resident Evil. 
and definitely up until this point up until 1996 the best blend of of maybe these two lineages of action and adventure and and as you know the resident evil series becomes more and more action oriented as it progresses up until seven which kind of goes back more to its roots in adventure games okay uh, at least uh, at least more so than say resident evil 4 5 and 6 did and so Resident Evil was inspired by this game called Sweet Home. Uh, it was a Japanese RPG about five filmmakers who visit a haunted mansion, which itself was based on a movie. That premise rules. Yeah, we should probably watch that movie at some times. I've never seen it, but the movie sounds great. And so Resident Evil actually starts out as a remake of this game, but Capcom no longer had the license to Sweet Home. So director Shinji Mikami decided, okay, we'll do something else with it. And then it became Resident Evil. So both these, both these series, Silent Hill and Resident Evil, are all Japanese made? Yes. That seems the Resident Evil games especially feel uh, American in a lot of ways. They, yeah, they definitely draw very heavily from American horror tropes and conventions. That's more accurate. They they are they seem like they're in dialogue with American horror movies much more. Absolutely, yeah. And the Resident Evils are very much kind of directly related on an inspirational level to the George Romero's right. of like Blank of the Dead series, and which might also be a reason that accounts for its popularity kind of in the in the West. Uh, which, as we'll get to, is something that the Silent Hill team was told to do, like make a game that appeals to kind of Western horror sensibilities. Hmm. But yeah, Resident Evil was the game that really did coin the phrase survival horror. It's a phrase that Capcom used in its marketing. Um, and as I mentioned, had we not recently kind of played Resident Evil, the remake together, this would probably be where we'd start as your entry point into survival horror for the show. Mm-hmm. It really did establish the template for survival horror. Again, not the first to do most of these things, but maybe the best example of bringing all of the elements together into a single horror experience. Okay. And since we kind of like played it together or you watched me play it or however you want to frame that, <laughs> um, you've at least been exposed to a lot of the Resident Evil approach to horror games. So for example, as we talked about earlier, the, the use of the pre-rendered backgrounds and the fixed camera angles. Mm-hmm. And again, the pre-rendered backgrounds does mean that you have much more beautiful backgrounds, but as almost like a happy side effect you do have these fixed camera angles. Right. Um, Weird force perspective a lot of the time, yeah. I remember. Which is aggravating, but when it comes to a horror game, I yeah. think really effective, right? That there is, because one of the things that I think we contend with, and, and so I think we talked about this before, um, Guillermo del Toro has talked about the one of the main differences be- between films and games is that in games, you have to account for what he calls the asshole. Meaning, That's me, baby. Yeah, meaning the player. <laughs> who often does whatever they can to resist the direction of the game. Yeah. And I think this is especially true in in a horror game where if the game is going to such lengths to create an atmosphere, to create tension, to control the pacing, and like you as the player are just like spinning the camera around or like running in circles. You know what I mean? Like just like kind of goofing around as you often do when we play games. Um, that that can easily just break the tension. Well, it's also I'm I'm just realizing this is maybe the only genre where a lot of your players, a significant majority of your players, will essentially be trying to modify their own experience specifically to work against the purposes that you are <laughs> setting out for them. Like in, I mean, if you're a big baby like me, yes. No, this is what I'm saying though. Like Mario games want you to platform and have mm-hmm. fun. You and the game are working together to have the most fun you can have jumping around being Mario, right? Horror 
so much of it is about you trying to resist the, ex- or at least for a certain subset of players, trying to resist the experience <laughs> that it's, it wants to give you. Like, I'm not, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to do that. I'm not going around that corner. I know there's zombies there. You know, like that right. sort of thing when the game is like, I put these zombies here for you. This is all for you. Get in there and be scared. And you're like, no. Right. Like with horror media, it has to be so carefully directed for the person experiencing it to feel those emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so hard when the player has so much agency. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I think using these fixed camera angles really works to these games' advantage. As annoying as it is, not being able to see in front of you, for example, yep. because Here- of the camera angle and having to kind of walk towards the camera and and not knowing what's in front of you is is horrifying. Yeah. I remember hearing zombie noises from clearly right in front of where you are, but you you have to walk towards the mm-hmm. screen to get where you're going. You're like, I don't know what's there. I mean, I know it's something, but mm-hmm. like... And, yeah. then, and then when you're actually giving the player like fully rendered 3D space, I think this is why first person is so effective mm. because you might not be able to control right the space in the same way, but you can control how the player is able to access that space and engage with it just based on their limited perspective. Right. They can't actually see around them or, or you right. know or behind them at all times. It also kind of reminds me of, of um, the experience in scary games as far as I know them of um the dread you feel when you're being gated towards somewhere mm, that you mm-hmm. don't want to go like where you're like i why would i i do not want to go into this basement why would i go into this mm-hmm. basement why would i ever go into the basement in this creepy house but like gradually you try all other options and it's like dead ends and you just you can feel everything narrowing towards funneling you into mm-hmm. the scary zone um i think that's also that's a that's a funny thing that I I don't think I've felt the equivalent of that really in a film before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like the game developers have to use all of these techniques from their game design toolbox to really try to direct and funnel the player as much as possible without mm-hmm. making it seem like they're doing so. Like yeah. the player still needs to feel a sense of agency. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where the horror and it kind of really works emerges. Like the dread that builds as mm-hmm. you try every other option and it's like, mm-hmm. nope, not here. Nope, that door is locked. And you just like, you know, in your gut that you're going to have to go to the basement, but you just don't want to mm-hmm. and just everything else not working. Yeah, it's yeah. very much a Resident Evil thing. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see if that's a if that becomes a Silent Hill thing. I mean, I use the basement <laughs> for whatever the scary woods, the the mm-hmm. cave that like you just whatever. hate basements. I, I, I hate basements. <laughs> yeah. So along these same lines, one thing that, you know, from old Resident Evil that we didn't experience in the remake but you know I think of the old Resident Evil that it did have these restrictive controls tank controls yep that for a long time were a staple of a lot of games but really a staple of horror games and even in 1999 and I guess I'll give you this is not really a spoiler but I'll give you a heads up that these are the controls that you'll be dealing with in Silent Hill super (laughs) and so even in 1999 when people were reviewing Silent Hill or even when people were reviewing Resident Evil in 1996 and even reviews that might give these games almost perfect scores they often mention that the controls kind of stinker and unresponsive. <laughs> oh, great. And one thing that I'm always thinking about, it it, it goes back to the same uh, rationale of restricting the player's point of view. Like, is there something inherently scary to having these more restricted controls? And mm. if you had more fluidity in the space, more ability to kind of maneuver really fluidly, as you often expect to do as a video game character, would that make it inherently less scary? That's my Mario and the Eel problem. Right, because you had mobility problems under the water. Yeah. Listen, everyone, mobility under the water is objectively hard. It's not I had. Okay. One would have problems under it. Yeah. I mean, but this is, yeah, but this is something I think about a lot because I acknowledge that tank controls are ridiculous and really frustrating. (laughs) 
but are they necessary? Is there a certain degree of player discomfort at the control level that's necessary for these games to be scary? So it's definitely something I'd want, I'll want to talk about after you've played Silent Hill. Yeah, I wonder. I, I mean... I'm a little skeptical of whether we should talk about that as like an intentional design choice. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter if that's the effect that's produced, like kind of who cares. Right. I mean, choosing those controls is definitely an intentional design choice. Uh, Yes. But whether... To produce bad movement that makes it feel scary. I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm interested in talking about this too, like whether that's me doing like gymnastics, like mental gymnastics to justify them in these games, or if they're just kind of crowding and there's other ways around it. Yeah. Yeah. Those controls are really a great way to make you feel vulnerable, to make you feel helpless, Mm -hmm. um, to encourage you to run away rather than engage with enemies. Right. And of course, the other thing that lends itself to that, that you saw all over in Resident Evil is the resource scarcity, which is another hallmark of the survival horror genre. So little healing materials, such small inventory slots also. It's not like you can just carry all your stuff all the time, at least in that. Yeah, the Resident Evil makes you kind of play Tetris with your inventory. um, I started thinking of it as like cargo pants simulator at some point, because you have like (laughs) a lot of pocket space, but not like infinite pocket space, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, that like, okay, what do I need for the next stretch? What do I... Yeah, Right, so not only are there not that many health items not only is there not that much ammo Ammo. so you can't just shoot everything but then you also have to be selective of what you actually can carry of the limited resources you do have yeah 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 and it just builds so much tension and the stakes are so high into what you actually carry with you at all times especially for an rpg hoarder right that must be (laughs) who likes to have a hundred high potions in stock when i'm going though maybe 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 not maybe that lends itself because it's kind of the same thing where you know you have 10 bullets and you're scared to use one true just in case which maybe that is my just in caseness it might save me in this case yeah yeah i'm very curious about that (laughs) awesome (laughs) along those same lines something else that i want to talk about after you've played silent hill is the question of difficulty and so in resident evil as you as you know in terms of saving, you can only save at certain save rooms. There's not save, mm-hmm. there's no save anywhere system. Mm-hmm. Silent Hill is the same. And one thing that I'm wondering, because Resident Evil has, has continued with this, if horror games, for example, really need to rely on the discrete areas where you can save and feel safe mm-hmm. and not actually let you just save scum and save anywhere. If there is actually something inherent to that system that produces the horror, that an ability to just save wherever you want right. uh, would detract. And similarly, I'm wondering about difficulty. Hmm. Like, do scary games have to be hard? If it's too easy, would that destroy the fear that could be produced? Hmm. I wonder if, uh, like, part of this question is, like, is, like, gamic fear different than, like, the aesthetic fear, right? right? Like, is, right. It, is it the trappings that are going to get to you? I, I mean, I'm sure our answer will be they both have to kind of work hand in glove. Um but yeah, there's there's the the vulnerability of of I have so little healing items. Mm-hmm. I'm so far from a save. I don't know what's around this next corner. Versus like, you know, I'm in the Resident Evil mansion. It's inherently spooky. I wonder. Yeah. Right. Like, is are all the horror trappings undercut if you just feel too powerful within the space? Hmm. Good question. Because then, at that point, are you back in an action game rather than a right, right, rather than a survival right. if you can just, game? If you can just mow the guys down in Resident Evil, then mostly you're just running around right. collecting, which like, is kind of what happens in, in you know the later Resident Evil games. <laughs> okay, where you do have quite a bit of ammo, 
and it, it, they are just kind of action games with horror themes hmm. and and horror aesthetics rather than you know survival horror games that are that are about making you the player feel vulnerable and helpless right. it might be interesting to revisit this um thinking about uh does this have power fantasy in it and if so what mm-hmm. kind like mm-hmm. remember when we were talking about um with metal gear solid stealth mm-hmm. being different than than like you know full aggro combat uh, we kind of came around to the idea that stealth is its own kind of power fantasy. I wonder, mm-hmm. might be worth thinking about what exactly, like how how do you feel able to get through these at the same time? Yeah, and this is also something I'd want us I want us to revisit. I think when we're talking about your FromSoft game that you play, okay, because I do find those games really scary. There is some kind of, I mean, there's a fantasy aesthetic. Bloodborne, you know, has more of a horror aesthetic. They seem a little creepy, but the thing that makes me really scared is the helplessness and the vulnerability. Okay. That stems from the difficulty okay. for me yeah so i'm wondering if that's kind of necessary for these games to work okay and yeah the other thing um that resident evil kind of really established again not the first but i think did it in a way that made it a feature that was has been copied kind of endlessly is the inclusion of puzzles and you've already mentioned that you thought they were kind of dumb yeah they weren't i a lot of them didn't feel like puzzles they felt like just find this object and bring it back here it's like that's that's kind of just like a dressed up fetch quest with no mm-hmm. quest giver that's like designed to make you go into like that wing of the house you know and so silent hill i'll tell you this does have puzzles okay it picks us up so yeah let's talk about that next time whether you think this is kind of whether it aids in the in the horror in any way okay but yeah so resident evil like i said released in 1996 and up until this point we can really think about two branches of these horror games right the ones that are rooted more in the action game and the ones with roots like the original resident evil in the adventure games that's really where survival horror fits but then Silent Hill came around in 1999 and really complicated this by splitting survival horror into two branches. Hmm. So in some ways, it's really similar to Resident Evil, but in other ways, it is absolutely fundamentally different. So to give you a bit of context about Silent Hill itself, it actually began development uh, much earlier in 1996, where after the huge success of the original Resident Evil, Konami saw that success and wanted a game to compete with Resident Evil that would also be popular with Western audiences. And so they put together this team of developers that became known as Team Silent. And this might be kind of an apocryphal thing, but it's usually described as kind of this island of misfit toys of developers. Hmm. A bunch of staff who were part of failed projects and who had kind of wanted to leave Konami, but then were just kind of put together to make a Hollywood-style <laughs> action horror game. This is what you wanted, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a team of 15 given a pretty modest budget of 3 to $5 million. That seems like not a lot. Yeah, I think it was pretty modest. I don't think, again, it's like this, if it's this team of, you know, quote unquote, failed developers, they mm-hmm. don't want to give them too many resources. Right. They're just kind of giving them this little project almost to shun them aside. That's at least how <laughs> a lot of them tell it in these recountings. Again, I don't know how accurate those Put are. Put them in the basement. But that's the myth. That's the mythology. <laughs> yeah, and out of this team, what's interesting is that no real auteur emerges in the same way that there's, you know, like a, like a Kojima. Maybe the one whose name is really familiar maybe the most familiar is actually akira yamaoka who's the music who's the sound designer oh cool um and who did the music for the game and, and these games are really known for their sound design and their and their music cool um the director of silent hill of the original silent hill anyway um keichiro toyama he's also kind of a known name he worked in the original silent hill and then he went off to make his own separate horror franchise called siren and then he went to do the Gravity Rush series, which is oh, so different. Oh, that's a tonal change. Yeah, which is so different. I haven't which played is, those, but people like those. Yeah, which is not even in the same <laughs> universe of, of Silent Hill or Siren. Uh, anyway, so they're they're initially making this game 
to be more or less a Resident Evil clone. And eventually the direction of the project changed to emphasize emotion over action. Hmm. And in an interview with Keichiro Toyama, the director of the first one, he stated that he really wanted to make a game where the scariest part of the game is, quote, the fear that naturally grows within you. So he did not want to make a game based in in jump scares. Hell yeah. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> when I talk about stillness and like, let it breathe, like, let me mm-hmm. let me have the freak out without like forcing it to. That was Yeah. And that was his goal. He saw that. I mean, Resident Evil had a little bit of that, but it also did rely quite a bit on jump scares. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe its most iconic moment is the dog bursting yeah, through yeah, the yeah. window. And yeah. And he just wanted kind of a lingering sense of horror. And so that's the game that they they changed the direction. That's the game they eventually went on to make. And initially, this game was really under the radar, and it just came out of nowhere when it debuted at E3 1998. So this is the same E3 where we saw the final push for Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. Big year. Um, this is a huge year. Um, Ocarina of Time was nearing completion and had a had a big showing there. But kind of coming out of this, a lot of attention was on this game that nobody ever heard of before or or paid very little attention to, Silent Hill. Uh, and, and it came out of nowhere and it started appearing on a bunch of best of E3 lists. And so normally this is where we look at some of the magazine previews and advertisements and talk it over. But I kind of want you to go into this game cold. Cool. Next episode, we'll look at some of this stuff to see if it meshes with your experience. But I don't want to give too much away right now. But what I do want to show you is the E3 trailer. Okay. Um, and it's not much of a spoiler because it pretty much is the opening cutscene of the game with oh, some okay. other scenes tacked on. So it's not too bad. So let's take a quick break, watch that and come back and talk about it. Okay, we're back, and Michelle has just watched the E3 trailer for Silent Hill. Hell yeah. What'd you think? Uh, This got me so excited to play this (laughs) game. I'm so hype on this now. The song in this is so good. So there's your first taste of the Akira Yamaoka soundscape vibe that he's going for. I could never have predicted this, but I'm very into it. It's very good. Yeah, he's a a rock musician at heart. And it's got like a mood. It's got like almost a... There's something in it that has like a... Somehow reminds me of almost like a Twin Peaksies like strangeness. Hmm. But I don't know what I'm picking up on. But yeah, we got uh, we got interesting looking characters. We got a sexy nurse. <laughs> we got a sinister nun. Oh yeah, right. Love yeah. that. Yeah, there's lots of there's just there's so much imagery in here that I'm like, ooh, what's that? What's that? What's that? Uh, I do have one question. Tell me about the child sized sacks of flesh flesh-colored something i i hope they're scarier in the game because they it looks like he's just running around and shooting drunk children like they're just little like golem things so the majority of this trailer is a cg trailer then they do have flashes of gameplay in it and this is something that i i'm actually worried about okay i'm worried about this for you I'm happy about this for me because I think it's going to make it much more easy for me to watch. Okay. Less um, scary. Yes. But Basi- less effective. Yes. Basically, the PS1 era graphics, which, you know, in 1999 did seem kind of cutting edge and now just kind of seen, I guess the enemies just seem like... It looks like a sack of flour with legs and arms. So I'm I'm really curious about whether there's something about the graphics now, when we're coming to experience them now, that they're too dated to be mm. scary. I mean, m- the rest of it looked good, like including other gameplay mm-hmm. scenes. So uh, let let's see, let's see. I'm not I'm not convinced it won't work, but 
Uh, I do have concern about the meat children, I'll be <laughs> honest. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I also, the the tagline at the end, uh, Silent Hill will turn into hell with the date. Yeah. it's So, I guess uh, my friend got the right experience yeah, he, from it. Yeah, he had the idea. So, yeah, I... I don't know. I, I, it's so, it's so moody. It it's checks, tense. It checks so many of the boxes that you mentioned earlier yeah. for things that you like, and I, I think there are a lot of good signs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the one other thing I was surprised by is there was more gore than I was expecting. Mm. Like, there's, there's at one point there's a body strung up with like an open rib, rib cage and guts and stuff. There's lots of, I, I think I wasn't expecting that because I had known about the, the sort of psychological horror elements. What do you um, think you're going to see when you take your trip to hell? bodies strung up and guts i guess <laughs> that's fine I, i'm not really squeamish about gore but i just wasn't expecting it i don't know about you but in hindsight watching this trailer i don't see any way that you could necessarily conflate that with resident evil yeah totally it already is setting up something so different i mean even just by the fact that you're not special forces you're just a guy right you're very much some dude in this as far as i can tell uh, but what's really interesting is that so many early previews could only frame this game in terms of its resemblance to Resident Evil. Mm. And so part of this is probably inevitable. It's always the baggage that follows a game that has defined a genre. So Resident Evil emerges, it is becomes the emblematic survival horror game. Mm -hmm. So is this something you've ever experienced since you've started playing games? Because this would happen, this used to happen all the time when, you know, a game would come out and kind of define a genre, be one of the... Mm. And then any other game that emerged, no matter how different or how much it tried to distinguish itself from that thing, was always kind of seen in in that first game shadow. I mean, Dark Souls, Souls like, <laughs> of course, yeah, Soulsborn. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, Souls. I mean, Soulsborn is still Souls Light. That yeah, that whole yeah, Dark Souls really has kind of yeah. cast a shadow. <laughs> yeah, it, everything now right, is yeah. Souls Light, Souls like any of those. Yeah, I mean, you'd see this all the time in the past too. Like Mario 64 was another one where once that came out, that was seen as, okay, this is defined what the 3D platformer is. Okay. So now any We're other game <laughs> for years and years and years and years would be compared to Mario 64 pretty much directly. And so really the initial challenge for Silent Hill was to get out of Resident Evil's shadow. There's really not a preview that exists that I found that didn't mention Resident Evil somewhere oh when previewing God. Silent Hill. <laughs> But some are optimistic and some, and this is something else that I, I think this is also a remnant of the 90s. Some previews would, would refer to it as a Resident Evil killer. Oh, like this will de this will dethrone Resident Evil. Yeah. And this was a very prevalent like moniker that games would come out. So yeah, you'd have Mario 64 as, you know, the emblematic 3D yeah. platformer. And then like another one would come out like a like Blasto, this game that yeah. eventually was just like kind of swept away. But it had to be a new game in that genre coming out. Somebody like, uh, will this be the Mario 64 killer? Or if there's a new RPG coming out, will this be the Final Fantasy 7 killer? No, I we don't have that in this time. And I think it's because they have more data about who plays games. And they know that everyone who plays, if you like platformers, you will buy Mario 64 <laughs> and Blasto. Right, there's kind of this... Like why? I don't know about Blasto. Or, but... <laughs> no, no, no. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it, it's not. It's like the Resident Evil fans mm -hmm. are going to be looking at this, being like, "Oh, right. more for me." Yeah, like that language always kind of presupposed that there was only room in the market for one of yeah. every genre. Which, which... like, unless you're going to make a new Resident Evil every three months, so that that can be the only thing that we play for the rest of mm -hmm. time. Like, they they're going to need some other games. Right. Like, I, I'm glad we're. We have a little bit more nuance now. I know things are discussed in some ways. Well, they're just like buy both. Like it's not nuance. Right. It's just like get both. 
Right. And so in a lot of these early previews, actually, the, the number one thing that would come up as the distinguishing feature for Silent Hill, the, the one thing that would distinguish it from Resident Evil, was that it actually did use full 3D environments. It does not oh. have pre-rendered backgrounds, which in this case allows for what they call dynamic camera angles, hmm. which I think will be interesting to see in Counterpoint. Like, how does how does Silent Hill manage its camera angles when right, right, right. it can't, it doesn't have the fixed camera in the same way as Resident Evil did? Um, but even at this time, like previews in EGM, previews in GamePro would pretty much say that aside from these 3D backgrounds, Silent Hills looks like a knockoff or a clone of Resident Evil. Yikes. Even in GamePro's review, which I don't, it makes me think this person even didn't even play so the review, game. review, not preview, yeah, right? So re- it's like later? Yeah, so okay. even in their review, they call it, quote, a shameless but slick Resident Evil clone. Ouch. And again, say that its biggest distinguishing features are the 3D backgrounds. Uh, which, which like how much do, does your average player really care or like right. understand what that means? And so yeah, this might be a question for us to revisit actually you actually played Silent Hill, but I don't think they're that similar okay. <laughs> from what I know. But by the time the game was coming out and people saw later builds of it, some people were actually able to distinguish and articulate some fundamental differences. I mean, good. And uh, yeah, diehard game fan, our favorite magazine, uh, Dave Halverson's magazine. What's up, Dave? At, at least said that uh, calling it a knockoff would be hasty and wrong. <gasps> Dave had one good take. <laughs> and some of the examples they gave for that um, are pretty insightful, I think. So one of the things they mentioned is that while Resident Evil's emphasis is, quote, entrenched in the schlocky B-movie gore of the 60s, Silent Hill plays like a perfectly paced piece of surreal literary horror from the late 70s. So that's my shining. That's your shine. Exactly. Right. And so, <laughs> so really in co- contrasting these games is, OK, Resident Evil is following the George Romero, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. B-movie action horror lineage. And I wish we didn't have to punch them on our way to saying that we like the Shining model better, but... Right, because, yeah, these things can coexist, but they are fundamentally different, Mm -hmm. whereas Silent Hill was more psychological horror, like a Clive Barker or H.P. Lovecraft or something like The Shining. Um, Multiple previews, um, and we've seen this kind of verbiage a lot with a lot of different games they call it a thinking man's game oh my god like, right? like that's how many saw. games this season are we have we played or are we gonna play that's like this is the thinking man's version of that other idiot's game <laughs> yeah. Like, why yeah there's a, like been a handful of those i mean metal gear solid the other konami game is one of those of mm-hmm. the thinking man's game did Half-Life, they say that about metroid 2 i think they did yeah metro is a thinking man's game half-life was a thinking man's game so i'm many- just so proud to be a thinking man in the games <laughs> industry today <laughs> uh, and and there's actually a preview in GamePro, I assume by not the person who reviewed it, who said it was a combination of Resident Evil and Mist. That's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, think about think about that. But the one word that I think was the word used most across all magazines when describing this game was atmosphere. Yes. Yes. And being clear that this is less about jump scares and more about unsettling the player and creating a perpetual sense of dread. So exactly what Toyama was going for. Yes. Um, in the official, I mean, bad. This is going to be awful, but yes. In the official UK PlayStation magazine, the reviewer called it, quote, one of the most atmospheric games ever created. It evokes such feelings as panic, fear, trepidation in a variety of ways, and that it privileges lasting feelings of unease over jump scares. So that's uh, that sounds like what you're asking for. I don't know if you'll actually want it. Amen. No, I do not. But <laughs> and really, the big takeaway from a lot of the previews and the reviews, and again, this is how I was introduced to it, is that the biggest differentiator between this and Resident Evil is that Silent Hill is just scarier. Um, diehard game fans said, "Never before has a game come by that has scared me as much as this one did." 
And in the Gamers Republic preview, I think it's almost worth reading this paragraph verbatim because it says that Silent Hill promises to deliver fear and not just that dog jumping through the window heart skip we all loved in Resident Evil. I'm talking about true terror. For Konami, the game is about a lot more than just trying to make you crap your pants with random surprises. Okay. They want you to feel horrified. They want you to play with the lights on. They want you to feel the pain the main character experiences, and they want you to go to sleep with that on your mind. Well, I can tell you this. I will play with the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give them what they want. Ah, <laughs> uh, That sounds like a lot. I mean, that sounds good. That sounds like so much of what I want, but it sounds like a lot of what I want, yeah, you know? Also, something that came up quite a bit were people saying, don't let your kids see this game. Like not not even play. You mean just see? Yeah don't don't let your don't let your kids in the room. Walk you're playing through this the game. back of the room while you're no, playing. No, hide this from the kids. Whoa. Like, yeah, and like, that's not in a like uh, Mortal Kombat like concern no, for no. So many of these magazines were so kind of opposed to that mentality. Um, but when it came to Silent Hill, no, this is not for kids. This like somebody said, this is literally the first game I can say is not for kids. Wow. Don't let them see it. It'll mess them up. I hope I can play this. I hope I can do it. Me too. I want to do it. I, I really feel like I want to do it. I think the PS1 graphics will, will be working save in our favor. Us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I think that's enough context for now. And I think we're both ready to start. But before we do that, as usual, just a few quick predictions. Oh, right. About what you think you'll experience in this game. Now, question one. What is the secret of Silent Hill? Uh, government experiments. Government experiments. There's a lab or something. Uh, my X-Files training is coming through. And your Resident Evil training. And my, I guess, yeah. <laughs> okay. Will you use a rocket launcher? No, because I think I'm I think I'm just a guy in this. So I don't yeah, I don't think I use a rocket launcher. What do you think the game will sound like? We heard that we heard that music, but I think at some point I think at some point it will be, it will give me this like really. Um, like what's going to be the dominant soundscape? I, I bet it'll be quiet. Like I, I'm picturing. Oh, Silent Hill will be the, silent. <laughs> God damn it. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm picturing like the, the sort of snow that's falling in the fog. And like, you know, that feeling when it's snowing, and the snow like extra muffles the sound. And it's like this extra layer of silent that I think it'll, I think, I think it'll be like that. Okay. Uh, I don't think you've ever got one of these, so I'll give you another shot. Describe one of the bosses. Oh, um, uh, messed. I remember there being a nurse. So I'm going to say mm. uh, like messed up, deformed, mutated uh, doctor or surgeon. Like clearly used to be a per- mm. used to be a specific person who was a doctor or a surgeon or something like that. Okay. Yeah. How many times will you jump? <laughs> Meaning you, the player, not your character. Okay. <laughs> um, I will say 13, Baker's Dozen. Okay, a scary number. Mm-hmm. And then finally, will Pyramid Head kill you? Oh, um, okay. So I think that, I think what you're really asking me is, is Pyramid Head in this game? Because I think if Pyramid Head is in the game, he's going to kill me <laughs> at some point, right? Um, so I think, I think your actual thing you're trying to trip me up on is whether he's in this game and I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say he's only in two. I'm saying, no, Pyramid Head will not kill me in this game. That's my guess. Will Devo kill you? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, Devo. (laughs) 
All right, that's it. Um, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to us on, or you could tell a friend, which is super, super helpful for us. You can find links to everything we referred to, including the Silent Hill trailer from E3, uh, on our Twitter account at NeverWasAGamer. Uh, and you can find all this information at NeverWasAGamer.com. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time when Michelle has hopefully returned from her trip to hell. Because feeling like you're sometimes in hell is an essential part of becoming a gamer.